You see, this is one of them rare moments where your ass get a chance to be completely honest. If, if I'm asking you what you said to Mecklen, assume the shit is rhetorical. Assume I already know. What do you see right now? You see exactly and only what I choose to show you. That is illusion, Ivy. That is the lie that I tell your eyes. Making the magic happen in the moment, in that split second. But seeing behind this motherfucker and knowing that it's all bullshit. Yeah, you on some bullshit. But I can shape it, I can shift it, I can make it as real as this room. That's why I'm valuable here, Ivy. And that is why you are not. I am valuable. I am sorry. I love you. I never wanted it to be like this. You know that. It don't matter what you wanted. It's what you did. If you thought old man Primo could twist your shit up. Wait till you see what I'm about to do here. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. The Contrarians is brought to you by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avnio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter at JamesAlexMattis and at Avnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple. It's the best film in the franchise. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as I am for every episode in this walk down the path of the contrary with my friend Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? I am great. I am just so pumped, dude. You have no idea. Or maybe you do, because you just watched the same movie I did. I I did, and I'm quite amped right now. We did give it away on the last episode. Uh, This is episode 19 of The Contrarians, and we are here to discuss Smoking Aces, the 2007 Joe Carnahan mega action blockbuster is what I'd like to call it. Except that I don't know that it qualifies as a blockbuster. Did it bomb? I guess we'll talk about this in the second half of the of the show. But it recouped its budget in there some, but it, I guess it didn't cross that hundred million dollar line. So blockbuster, Wanna maybe be. maybe game changer would be a better game term. Changer, but not even, well, I don't know. Maybe well, I think this is all like the real talk discussion <laughs> for later. What we can do now is just fish through the embarrassment of riches that are the quotes <laughs> in the reviews for this movie, because God, they hated it. Ken Hanke from Mountain Express, an alternately tedious and ridiculously violent nihilistic screed trying to pass itself off as hip entertainment, followed by Sean Burns from Philadelphia Weekly, who says the worst movie of 1998. Wow. Yep. Mark Dujic from Mark Reviews Movies, he just says, a downright miserable experience. Mark, you shouldn't review movies. <laughs> Tony Medley from TonyMedley.com, a thoroughly despicable movie. For my money, a film like this deserves an NC-17 rating far more than one dealing with explicit sex. Wow. I mean, refreshing, you know, because that's not the usual, uh, you don't usually hear that. But still, come on. 
Roger Moore from the Orlando Sentinel putting Ben Affleck and the poor man's Ben Affleck, Ryan Reynolds, in the same movie, not a good move. <laughs> I'd never heard that before. No, that I he, think he made that up. It, it didn't really stick. <laughs> Stephen Witte from Newark Star Ledger says, take two or three over-the-top Hong Kong films, add a bit of exploitation attitude, spice it up with some Quentin Tarantino stunt casting, and soak the whole thing in crazy chainsaw violence. Now throw out 90% of everything but the violence. People hated this movie. I, I am telling you, like they took it personally. Uh, Lou Luminick from New York Post says, Impersonal hack work by someone who is bending over backwards to sell out and become the new Michael Bay. Good lord. A.O. Scott from New York Times says, Smoking Aces is a Viagra suppository for compulsive action fetishists and a movie that may not only be dumb in itself, but also the cause of dumbness in others. Fernando F. Croce from Cinepassion says, The poor man's Guy Ritchie. Which is sad, since the poor man already has Guy Ritchie. <laughs> good one, Fernando. That, that was good. <laughs> and finally, Vince Kohler from Entertainment Spectrum. He, he kind of like takes a seat back and, and really confronts the issues here. Will you enjoy Smoking Aces? That depends on your acceptance of the following. Several pages worth of four-letter words, huge bloody body counts, and nudity that is nothing more than set decoration. That's a call you will have to make for yourself. Wow. I mean, I guess I guess I'm a horrible person because you know what, Vince and everybody else, you're wrong. It, this is an awesome movie and I think you guys just missed the point. Yeah, I I don't understand the hate there. And this is no more violent or curse-laden or nudity filled than any of you you know these oscar winners eyes wide shut the king's speech i mean he he literally fixes himself by saying fuck so that's i don't understand it's just like action i think is is this tricky genre that just doesn't get the respect it, it deserves only a handful of movie gets you know like one action movie will get all the respect Every decade or so. And then after that, it doesn't matter what else you do in, in the genre. You just, it, it'll just get ignored. And then every once in a while comes along the action movie that is like, it's the end thing to gang up on it and beat it down. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we could say Smoking Aces was that year's Fantastic Four. I was literally about to say the Fantastic <laughs> Four of its time. So usually we jump into the plot here. Um, what I'm going to do to set the stage is the first paragraph of the Wikipedia summation of this is just so perfect. That I am going to recite it verbatim. I, I was actually looking forward to just sitting back and trying to hear you explain what goes on in this movie, which is not a bad thing. That is, it's it's a complicated plot, but go ahead. A religious Las Vegas mag magician and wannabe gangster, Buddy Aces Israel, Jeremy Piven, is hiding out in a Lake Tahoe hotel penthouse with his entourage. His agent and lawyer, Morris Mecklin, Curtis Armstrong, discusses a potential immunity deal with the FBI deputy director, Stanley Locke, Andy Garcia. Agents Richard Messner, Ryan Reynolds, and Donald Carruthers, Ray Liotta, learned that ailing Las Vegas mob boss Primo Sparaza, Joseph Rushkin, has issued a bounty on Israel for $1 million worth. A mysterious assassin known as the Swede has sworn that he will bring Israel's heart to Sparaza. A number of assassins also seek the reward, including Lazio Suit, Tommy Flanagan, who specializes in disguises and impersonations, Sharice Walters, Taraji P. Henson, and Georgia Sykes' Alicia Keys, two hitwomen hired by Sparaza's underboss, Victor Buzz Barici, played by David Proval. Pasquale Acosta, Nestor Carbonell, a calm torture expert and mercenary, and the psychotic neo-Nazi Tremor Brothers, Darwin, Chris Pine, Jeeves, Kevin Durand, and Lester, Mari Sterling. 
That brings us up to date. That's just the first paragraph of the summation of this movie. Kudos to that guy, and I'm not even 100% sure that he got it right, like, uh, up to it. But you know what? That's one of the things. There's this movie called uh, Syriana, which I don't think that we'll ever do in this. I, I don't know what the Rotten Tomatoes score on that one is, but it's uh, you might you might have seen it or at least seen the trailers. Uh, George Clooney. I worked at a blockbuster one summer, and it was the big movie of that summer as far as rentals go. I bet you that most people, and that's like Syriana was nominated. Like, that's the, the one that uh, got Clooney his first Oscar. Maybe he's only. Oscar. He directed it? Uh, no, but he, he got the best supporting actor for that one. Gotcha. And uh, it has uh, a gazillion characters, a gazillion plot lines. Impenetrable. I, I I mean, most reviews, though, would praise it. They would say, this is just how the world works. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you turn on the news and it's like, there's so much that's going on over your head. And, you know, so this movie is kind of like that. You never know exactly what's going on, but you kind of know who the good guys are. You know who the bad guys are. Everybody loves Syriana. Art house movie. Okay, the same thing happens in Smoking Aces. <laughs> You know who the good guys are. You know who you're rooting for. You know who the bad guys are. You know who you're rooting against. You know bullets are bad. You don't really need to follow every single step of the of the journey here because it's it's very simple. It's an action movie. And really, I would say Ryan Reynolds is the closest we have to protagonist here. And he doesn't really get the full story. He's confused most of the time, just like the audience. And then everything kind of makes sense at the end. And we're there with him. So the fact that people are saying that it's just too complicated. Well, get over that. <laughs> get over that and just enjoy the awesome violence. We finally arrive. Um, it feels like it's the first reel of the movie to get through all that. But we arrive at the Lake Tahoe penthouse of Buddy Israel. We meet Hugo, who is uh, one of his bodyguards, played by Joel Edgerton, a young, wise beyond his years Joel Edgerton. I'm tested. Uh, we see Sir Ivy, which is number two in command. For Buddy, played by Common, who we'll get to it, but man, he rocked the shit in this movie. We start off with the Edgerton Hugo apparently um, what's a, used Buddy's $12,000 coat as a prophylactic, and so he's kind of on the outs with them here when we get introduced. We quickly go to Alicia Keys and Sharice as they're discussing their plan into they're going to seduce Buddy Israel and then kill him that way. Taken to Rupert Rip Reed's apartment, played by Jason Bateman, as this is where Ben Affleck comes into the fold as Jack Dupree. Bateman is like a strung out lawyer. Lawyer, he's yeah, a lawyer. Who wants to collect on this bounty and he's posted the bail on Israel and he hires uh, Affleck, Jack Dupree. Pistol Pete Deeks, who's played by Peter Berg, who does he have any lines at all? He does. He, he he's mostly nodding and reacting to things that Affleck says. Like Affleck gets most of the lines. Berg just kind of like reacts to them. Then the other guy, Hollis Elmore, played yes. by Martin Henderson, who is easily the most forgettable person in this film. Yes, the the main thing you're gonna remember him uh, for is the fact that he looks like James McAvoy. That was that was like oh I'm more star in the, in the film no not really. I think it's worth pointing out that summary of the of the plot up to this point. What it doesn't tell you is how awesome everybody looks, <laughs> which really helps a lot in like telling people apart because you think with so many characters, you know, so many movies, it'll happen all the time to me, at least when I'm watching a, a war movie, mm -hmm. everybody looks the same unless they're like Tom Sizemore, you know, it, everybody is the same. But here you cannot miss. Everybody has such awesome hair, like uh, Jeremy Piven with his long hair, even from the very beginning when you see like the flashbacks. You know, obviously Chris Pine and his gang—they're like all crazy with the Mohawks and like the Affleck has like his that cap and he has the, the beard. Well, you, you know, even uh, Alicia Keys gets like to rock an, a, an awesome wig later on. So everybody's like they, they came ready to transform. And Jason Bateman might be the best. It looks like he put on weight for that role. He has only one scene. It's so perfect too his character is clearly just supposed to be completely out there like the setting his apartment is just pandemonium like he has porn on the tv he has a giant bunny costume 
And at one point when Hollis tries to pick it up, he says, hey, it's not yours. Get your dick beaters <laughs> off that. It's just absurd. And it goes back to that thing of Jason Bateman doing the same thing over and over again. You see flashes of brilliance like this, and you're like, man, go with it. Do something like this. Yeah, he's he's good. He he is one of the most memorable. He's the complete opposite of the other guy. He's just like you walk out of there thinking of Jason Bateman and just uh, I'm sure that this five minute scene plus like he has like a tiny like flash of another scene later on that just opened the doors for Arrested Development season four and everything else good that happened after that. So with Jack Dupree and his crew set into motion and then Locke, Andy Garcia, the uh, head of the FBI in this film, he sends. Carruthers and Messner to uh, detain Buddy and bring him in. So now all the wheels are in motion. Everyone's heading towards Lake Tahoe for this. The first two acts of this film are basically like a pressure cooker. Yeah, it's just the movie hitting you with like movie star after movie star. You know, when you earlier when you said that it was a game changer, like I wish it had been because really watching it, you're like this is the way the action movies should be from now on. Mm-hmm. No red shirts, or or rather, everybody's a red shirt because everybody's a star. So. Anybody can get killed at any point because everybody's on the same importance as, as far as like casting level. Yeah. Uh, but sadly, no, <laughs> which makes this even more special. It's just so awesome that that you know that kind of thing could could have happened. All the all the pay cuts that they might have taken, you know, just to get Ray Liotta and Ray, Ryan Reynolds like in the same scene more than once. So the FBI wants Buddy, if I'm correct, because they don't want Sparaza to get him because the FBI at this point in the film is trying to. Yeah, he's a key witness. Yes. So because they, they, they want to put away Sparaza for he's like the mob boss, but initially he killed uh, Freeman Heller, who was an FBI agent many, many moons ago. Yes. Yeah. So they've been trying forever to get this guy, Jeremy Piven, Buddy. I was gonna say Buddy Holly, <laughs> Buddy Israel, Aces. He he's the key. He's the key witness. But of course they're like negotiating with them because he he doesn't want to turn over everybody, and they want. So it's it's that's the only reason why he's still there, like hold up in that. He's kind of playing with them. Yeah. He is the Rosetta Stone of this film. Yeah, yeah. He he is like the key to unlocking everything up to a point, and then things change. But it really – that's the other thing. The other thing the movie is doing that people were so busy complaining about it, Aping Tarantino or Guy Ritchie or whoever, that they just missed how it's it's a very powerful critique of just the adult world and bureaucracy. Everything that happens here is so complicated because – Adults are making it complicated. Even the the hitmen themselves are really contriving with costumes and all. This. You would think that anybody could kill Jeremy Piven. It's like it's Jeremy <laughs> Piven, you know. Even even like Jeremy Piven as a magician in this movie, you know, he he does some cool stuff. But still, it's Jeremy Piven. You could mm-hmm. you could cap him at any time, even if he's holding up in a hotel. But yet here, these guys have the time. They they self defeat mercenaries fighting against mercenaries and the cops chasing their own tails, and that's just the adult world. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. There is a key scene later on. I'm not going to spoil it. We'll get to it. But there's a key scene that just completely encapsulates that message. And, of course, by then, critics had decided, by the time that scene arrived, I'm sure critics had decided that they hated the movie. So they wouldn't give it any credit. So Acosta is the first one to make it to the hotel in search of Buddy. He's impersonating a a federal agent. Acosta, of course, the mayor of Gotham. and Richard from Lost. We're also informed that... His key trait to discover him by is when he was originally detained in prison, he had chewed his finger to the bone as to never be able to be printed. That is just thrown like like a little bit of information. That is an awesome story. And they're just like oh, five seconds of exposition on the side. From there, we go a little bit outside of the city where Ben Affleck, Jack Dupree, and his boys are uh, rallying and coming up with their game plan when a real piece of shit car blaring some metal drives by. 
backs up a little bit. And then in the big, like, holy shit, Wes Craven moment of the film, Ben Affleck's like the first guy to get capped in this. It's yep. insane. Yep. And, and it's funny because Affleck is, going back to what I was saying about the adult world, Affleck is the ultimate representation of, you know, he's he's been planning this thing. We were introduced to him by him, like, telling his, his two other buddies what it was going to be like. He has all the information. He has the contact with, you know, uh, Jason Bateman. He's the man with the plan, and the man with the plan got killed, like, really early because that's it's, just... It's genius in a way. It's genius, but, you know, I'm sure that it just turned off a lot of people. Well, I came here to see Alpha kick ass. He doesn't kill a single person in the movie. It was somewhat of a passing of the torch, too, because this was the first time America really ever saw Chris Pine, and this was, like, your way of knowing this guy's going to be something. He means business. He killed Batman. Future Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so the tremors get out of the car and the two brothers start fighting while Chris Pine walks over to Ben Affleck's body and one of the iconic scenes of this film mouths his words for him. He's dead there and he's uh he basically mouths that he forgives him and he would do the same thing if he was in his shoes and it's beautiful here in heaven and he's going to see him there someday. It's it's a beautiful scene to watch. It just it adds so much depth and spirituality to the to the Chris Pine character, uh, which is necessary because you're gonna see a lot more of him. His timing's on point too. Like his presentation is just flawless. In it's this. so good, and you know you do need to humanize him a little bit because he's a horrible person. You have to be able to be okay with the fact that he just killed Ben Affleck. So by having Ben Affleck, even if he's dead, Ben Affleck forgives him that is good that is a good way of like you said passing the torch mm -hmm. back at the penthouse buddy's on the phone with his lawyer and he reluctantly but surely admits to giving everyone up he's going to give up all his henchmen all the people around him he's just at this point beyond control he's on a massive coke binge too he looks like shit and he's just trying to save himself at this point i think this is where we take a moment just to praise jeremy piven because i mean there's a lot of standout players here everybody brother a game and they 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 rock it but i think Piven and Ryan Reynolds carry the movie emotionally. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, if you had to pick your Oscar submissions, it was going to be Piven and Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, common is great, but that's that's not enough. I'm pretty sure what happened in this year was it was similar to the um, social network situation where Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, and Army Hammer were all so powerful that they almost like worked against each other and canceled it out so no one got nominated. The entire cast of Smoking Aces canceled each other exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah, that, I can totally see that. That's the disadvantage of having so much star power in your movie. But as an audience, you know, not as, a, as, as We somebody, reaped all the benefits. Exactly. We're just like, oh, God, keep them coming. It's just, it's amazing. But yeah, Piven, this is the most effective. I mean, in, let's say he has like 20, 25 minutes of screen time in this movie. Mm -hmm. And that is more powerful than anything he's done on Entourage on like eight seasons. Absolutely. That's, and not just because here he's being dramatic. I mean, uh, from what I hear, his, his character turns a dramatic point in Entourage of the later seasons. But, but here he's just, like you said, he's on drugs. Not just, it's not just the drugs, but there's like this misery afflicting him. Mm -hmm. You can tell that it just eats him alive that, that that he's just betraying the mob. And as this magician, he does do a series of card tricks throughout the movie. Not for anyone's amusement. It's just he's so like down on his luck. It's all he knows to do. And at this point, when he's talking to his lawyer, he's shuffling through the deck and just shooting out cards at random. And he shoots out three aces and the last one's a joker. And that's when he realizes he has to give everybody up. Again, I don't know how many people got it. You would think that, especially watching it on the big screen where you see all the cards, you'd be, but they were probably too busy just hating on Jeremy Piven. Was, Who does he think he is? Why is he being dramatic? But but yeah, the, the cards are just the perfect representation of his psyche. How can you get more more awesome than that? Unbeknownst to him, though, Ivy Common overhears this. And so... 
At this point, he's starting his plan of attack. Laszlo kills Hugo and takes his identity. And this is just kind of morbid. This whole Laszlo character, I think, gets the least play because he doesn't speak. He gets the least attention of any of the killers in the film. But he's easily the most methodical and downright creepy of them all. Everybody else draws attention to themselves. Even the ones that are trying to be undercover, like uh, Alicia Keys. Well, she's super hot, so yeah. she's still. But this guy, he is just—he just blends in, and and he could be anyone. We know who he is, but nobody else does. So, so yeah, he's easily the most dangerous out of all of them. Acosta is in the security hall in the hotel, speaking with Matt Fox, who I didn't catch his character's name, but he's supposed to be the head of uh, security at the hotel. And Acosta is just basically grilling him here about. He knows what's going on, and he's trying to gain access to the top floor without having to kill anybody. By the way, Matt Fox, Matthew Fox, that's Jack from Lost. That's uh, Lost alum number two. And then uh, one of the brothers of the Crazy Brothers. Uh, Is it Kevin Durand? Yeah, the guy that played the blob in uh, Wolverine Origins. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he is uh, the, the bad guy in season four of Lost. So three lost people here in this movie. That's another sign of just awesomeness. Matt Fox doesn't give him the information he wants, though, and unfortunately Acosta has to kill him. He stabs him with, uh, I guess his trademark weapon is kind of like a really long sigh. He stabs him through the stomach. The Uniclaw from Wolverine, just like, just one. It's another, it's, it's a touching death. You, they really, I don't he know if you didn't want to kill him. Yeah, yeah, and I think the movie didn't want to kill Matthew Fox because <laughs> they, at the, at the very end, at the end credits, you know, did you notice that he's the last name in the credits and they give him the and, you know, it's like they list oh, he everybody, the he, he gets the and credit. Nice. Yeah, and Matthew Fox. Literally, he has one scene and he dies and then he takes his sweet time dying. Uh, while he's dying, it, it's right as he answers the phone and you hear Ray Liotta on the other side, Agent Carruthers, is, we need a complete lockdown on your hotel. Uh, at this point, Acosta does hit him with the pretty awesome line. He's, when he's dying, he tells him to close his eyes. Don't make this face the last thing you see because heaven may hold it against you. I mean, that's pretty baller. That's Carnahan was of, going all out right. Yeah, yeah. The one of so many awesome lines in the movie. Alicia Keys, Georgia, is getting her get up on because her plan of attack is pussy, as she says. So she's going to go in with a group of prostitutes to Buddy's room and attempt to kill him from there. So she's getting all done up, and Sharice is in the Catacorny Hotel with a the biggest sniper rifle I've ever seen in my life. Yes, and from the moment you see it, you just know you cannot wait for that thing to start shooting. <laughs> they describe it, they show it to you in like so much detail, and then it's just it's just another like you talk about pressure cookers. You're just like, when is that gun gonna go off? And Sharice and Georgia, this is where we kind of get an interesting insight to the relationship because at this point, it's clear that Sharice has feelings for Georgia beyond that of a friendship. Yeah, that is another thing that, come on, give the movie some credit for really amongst all this craziness, it takes a moment to explore unrequited lesbian love. In a very serious mo- – because her feelings, they actually drive the plot at, at one point. So it, this is – you're talking about two very strong female characters, minorities because they're both black, and they're, they're like badass, and also one of them is in love with the other. And actually, I, I, when I first saw it, I thought that they were a couple. I, I, I sensed like it was going both ways, but then you know the movie proves you wrong. Or maybe you know she just changed her mind at the end. I don't know. Either way, like it's just it's just a great a great team. That's just like on the level of the bromance between Ray Liotta and, and Ryan Reynolds. We go back to Agent Locke, Andy Garcia, and he finds out something about Primo Sparaza. We as the audience aren't quite sure what he knows, but it's clear that this is going to come back into play here before too long. Yeah, it's just one of those like moments where like everything goes in slow motion for a second, and Andy Garcia just looks up and he's like, stop! <laughs> 
Ivy corners Buddy in his hotel bathroom, uh, asking him, you know, are you selling us out? At this point, Buddy's kind of playing it off like nothing's really happening, but you can kind of feel the, the pressure building here. At this point, we go back to the hotel lobby where Carruthers has made it into the hotel. He finds Acosta, who at this point took Matthew Fox's disguise and is now pretending to be a security guard at the hotel and asks him to take him to the penthouse floor. Troubles are brewing. Like I said, you don't need to understand everything that's happening, but you do know that this guy is dangerous. This guy killed Matthew Fox. This guy's bad. <laughs> and you know Ray Liotta is Ray Liotta playing the most sympathetic character he's played probably since Operation Dumbledrop. <laughs> I mean, you usually, you're used to Ray Liotta being kind of a scumbag. And here, he's actually a good guy. Mm-hmm. You don't want him to get hurt. <laughs> and yet, you know, so you fear for his life. You kind of want him to wait for Ryan Reynolds, but, you know, that's not the way the movie goes. Georgia hits the elevator button to go down. The elevator opens to reveal that the Tremors have made it into the hotel. Uh, they have disguises that they're going in as... Um, was it maintenance workers, the disguises they have? Right. They stole the disguises from Ben Affleck's crew That's after correct. they killed him. So, yeah. The, the elevator opens, and they're there just looking gnarly and white trash as possible. And Alicia Keys says, I'm going down. And with amazing, immaculate delivery, Chris Pine says, I bet you are. And then everybody was like, that guy's going to go far. This movie's a piece of shit, but that guy's going to go far. That's fucking Captain Kirk right there. <laughs> I see I see this guy going where no man has gone before. <laughs> Laszlo makes it back to the penthouse as Hugo, and no one's questioning him because he has the perfect disguise. He immediately kills Beanie, I think was the guy's name, one of the other security One guys. of the rare characters that is not a movie star. He <laughs> just, he's scoping out the room and basically just figuring out his plan of attack. Then we cut back to the bathroom of the uh, penthouse where Common and Buddy are arguing. And I just have written in my notes here, epic Common and Buddy scene, because this is... Easily the best scene in the film. That bathroom, I think, it just it just breeds greatness. Because even before Common comes in to, to you know, as a prelude to that, we get one of those Oscar clips that we like to, to call out. Buddy is just like looking at himself in the mirror and he takes one of his contacts off, so now he has his eyes are two different colors and he keeps like covering one up, covering the other one. At some point tears start falling, like the silent tears. It's just such a showcase for Piven. It's like they told him Okay, every single thing that you don't get to do in all those movies that cast you just as, like, the funny friend, yeah, go crazy. Just go here. Give me the crying. Give me the, the, the different color in the eyes. Just, I mean, it goes on for a while before yeah. someone comes in. It's like they really let him build up to it. Now, I'm sure we'll discuss this more in the Real Talk segment, but this this is awesome. Because what this scene is, is Piven is telling Common Ivy that he sold him out, but he sold him out to the feds. But the way he does it is describing that of the life of a magician and being on the other side of the magic trick and showing you the audience what you want to see but being on the other side of this motherfucker that's a completely different experience altogether but that's when ivy common you know he ain't no bitch and he tells him that (laughs) but that is i mean there is like the whole magician side but really if you take a step back this is even addressing race relations because he's that's just you're talking about a black man that's (laughs) That's been working hard for the white man, and now the white man is literally selling him out. Yeah. Common addresses that in verbiage that we can't say. Exactly. Exactly. But that is so awesome because the movie's like, I'll go there. Yeah. I'll go there, and it's like, what are you going to do about it? Oh, man. It, this is very reminiscent of uh, the end of Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood when he says, any man that shoots at me, I'm going to kill his wife and child and burn his house down. 
The way Common puts Buddy in his place here is just scorched earth, how he tells him. Yes. You think old man Sparaza could twist your shit up? They ain't nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you. It's just so good. It really, I mean, I wish that there was, there'd be more recognition. I mean, obviously Common kept, you know, there's a reason why he's in Terminator Salvation. He he proved his acting chops early on. I don't know how many movies he had under his belt before this, but but here he just proved that he could carry carry a scene. I can't even sarcastically be positive about Terminator (laughs) Salvation. From this, we go back uh, to the elevator in which Carruthers and Acosta are, and Carruthers is, you know, panicking, like, get me up there. We need to take care of this business. We, you know, I got to get this guy. And Acosta is trying his best and doing a good job of presenting that he is the head of security there when Carruthers notices his fingers, and they are just a bunch of scar tissue. They look like little leather face faces. I think he knows his fate at this point. Does he? But see, here's the thing, and that's the problem with him being a good guy, because going back to the adult world and the rules that we impose on ourselves or whatever. Common sense says that as soon as he sees the chewed up fingers, then he should have, he has a gun. Mm-hmm. The guy's facing away from him. Ray Liotta should have just shot him in the head, mm-hmm. but he can't do that because he's a cop and he, you know, he has to stick to the law. He needs, he can't just shoot a guy based on a hunch. So he tries to like get some more information, get him to like really say something that will really prove that he's a bad guy. And in doing so, I think that he makes him suspicious and then, you know, things go go south. Being on the side of the law, being a responsible adult ends up badly for you. And also the cinematography in this scene is downright genius because the previous scene where Custer killed Matt Fox and he says, you know, don't look at my face because heaven may hold it against you. Ray Liotta only can see his reflection in the elevator, and it's very distorted, so he can't see his face before the final shootout here. Basically, it's telling you, Ray Liotta will go to heaven. Yes. Matt Fox, not so sure, because he, he, he was pretty out of it. I don't think he got the point that he had to close his eyes, but Liotta, I think he's good. And I think we all knew that all along, but we just needed this reassurance. Because you're still, you have like at least half a movie to go. Can you imagine like not knowing that Liotta, if Liotta is going to heaven or hell? Like I wouldn't be able to really focus on the rest of the story, and there's a lot of plot to get through. I don't want there to be a heaven and hell if Ray Liotta is not in heaven. Well, yeah, I guess it's not heaven if Ray Liotta is not there. <laughs> At this point, I guess if there's anything to complain about this film, it would be this side plot with Hollis, the surviving member of Jack Dupree's team. Oh, the, Alex, I'm I'm going to blow your mind here, but go ahead. Uh, I guess this would be the um, Homer's Odyssey portion of the film where he <laughs> encounters the Cyclops. But <laughs> Hollis survived. He had his hand blown off, but he w- rolled into the river or the lake, as it were recovers and crawls into this wilderness area and there's a cabin there and there's a young boy and his grandma living there and it kills a bunch of screen time it does segue to something i enjoy in the film but enlighten me well i mean obviously from the practical reason is you need to explain how it is that that this guy manages to survive because you know you need him later in the movie so Clearly, yes. the filmmakers are like, well, we need to explain what happened, you know, and we might as well, if you want to go a little further, we need to make it an entertaining scene because it needs to compete with all the craziness that's going back at the hotel. That's true. That's true. But here is a real genius. And that's, again, you know, you're, what, an hour into the movie by now? So I think most people have already checked out and they just missed what I've been saying all along, which is this movie is about how unnecessarily complicated adults make things. And here he meets... A child that is basically the embodiment of of 
he's a simpleton. <laughs> you know, he this kid sees everything. He moves super fast. All he cares about is is having fun and being an idiot. It, it you know, you couldn't get more uncomplicated than this kid's life. This kid is so happy being the way he is that he even gets a boner at some point just out of nowhere. And you yeah. think, oh, that's a cheap joke. No, that's not. That's the movie telling you this is what we lost when we grew up. This kid, the, when the movie's over, this kid's still happy living with his grandma and playing with his nunchucks and just, just being a little asshole and being completely oblivious at how complicated his life is going to get when he becomes an adult and he has to follow rules and he has to decide if he's a good guy or a bad guy. This, this kid is innocent in that cabin. It's right in the middle of the movie. And yet people just miss it. You were watching it with me and you missed it. You were just like, fuck this scene. You came in with preconceived notions. <laughs> Even before it played, you were like, I hate this fucking scene. <laughs> I guess in the end, he Hollis does learn something from him to just live in the moment. Yeah. yeah. During this, though, is the discovery of Dupree's body, and this is when it breaks on the news. And just the real nugget of gold to take away from this is how Jason Bateman's character, uh, Rupert Reed, reacts to it. Because we just cut. It's the only other shot we have of Bateman in the film, and he's like in a bra and panties. And he's got, like, coke around his nose. He's, no, 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 no. Completely random. This, by the way, is why Ryan Reynolds was not with Ray, Ray Liotta, because I guess they split when they heard that uh, that Ben Affleck and his people had been killed, had been shot. So yeah. Reynolds went to check that, that shootout scene, and Ray Liotta went on to meet his demise. That's right. Back in the hotel bathroom, as the conversation between Ivy and Buddy has hit his apex, Ivy goes to draw his gun. And in the only moment of the film where Buddy Israel looks like a badass, he throws a card into the eye of Common and slices his eye open. This was also Jeremy Piven's audition to play Gambit in uh, X-Men <laughs> Origins. Was it? Maybe X-Men Origins was before this. No, no, no. X-Men Origins Wolverine was 2009. Nine, yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Why didn't... Well, I guess too old. They, they, they went young with Gambit. So the security on the top floor comes in, takes away Common. Buddy accuses him of killing Beanie. Hugo is there, uh, Laszlo in disguise, and this is obviously the worst thing in the world that can happen for Buddy because the security takes everyone out of there. He's in there alone with Hugo. He's coked out of his mind, and at this point, he starts sitting down uh, in the sunlight, and it's legitimately great acting from Jeremy Piven as he's doing his final card tricks, and he's just crying profusely, and he tries to build a house of cards in his hands, and it falls apart. And that's when he gets the phone call from his lawyer that says it's over. Yep. Uh, because of whatever uh, secret message uh, Ray Liotta got, not Ray Liotta, uh, Andy Garcia got, they're backing out from the deal. They're not They're not offering anything to uh, to Jeremy Piven. So he's fucked. He's, uh, his life, whatever was left of it, falls apart, just like his house of cards. Totally his Oscar clip. Meanwhile, some scary-ass shit's going on with Hugo. Because at this point, we kind of, for through a series of... Uh, scenes here we see that he's hooked up with that mysterious Swede that we don't really know about and Laszlo at this point while Buddy is just crying and looks to be just dying he's setting up just a series of surgery instruments slowly and methodically because they need his heart that's what they're going to try to get Buddy then crawls over and grabs the gun from uh, Beanie and tears running down his face puts the gun in his mouth but it's just too much coke 
He really he gives Mel Gibson a run for his money on the suicide or potential suicide scenes. Uh, have you seen Lethal Weapon? Like when the, yeah. the first one, that the scene where Gibson almost kills himself and he's looking at his his wife's picture. Mm-hmm. That's that's Jeremy Piven here, like times twenty, <laughs> because Gibson at least you know he's just playing kind of like a, he's a he's a loose cannon, but he's still clean cut. Mel Gibson, yeah. whereas like here Piven has gone to shit, and you still feel for him. You don't yeah. want him to blow his brains out because it's. Somehow you grew to love Jeremy Piven throughout this movie. And he does, He just passes out. I think all of the stresses of the world and the heavy cocaine use have taken its toll. He passes out. After the hour and a half that we've spent in the pressure cooker, the top comes off as the elevator opens and the tremors pour out. Chris Pine comes out throwing pipe bombs to the wayside. His brother's behind him with a chainsaw, and then the other guy's got like a shotgun. And the action spills down to Georgia. She's trying to get anywhere. The elevator on her floor is unfortunately the one that Ray Liotta and Acosta had had a shootout in. So she opens it, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. She gets in the elevator. Then it just starts going up because didn't the tremors... The FBI tripped the elevators to turn them off and the tremors and powered them back on with like their car battery that they had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What we missed is that Ryan Reynolds arrives at the hotel. Okay. He's the one that says, shut the elevators down. I think that he's the one that does it. Okay. She doesn't go up until like after, after the, the shootout. Cause she goes in, she sees, uh, she sees Ray Liotta and the, and the other guy. She starts like checking them. She's like, oh shit, they're feds. And then Ryan Reynolds and his, and his people walk in on her doing that. So then there's that shootout. So Messner had shut down the elevators. Uh, but the Tremors came prepared with their car battery. Exactly. Yes. So the, the, the Tremors keep going up. Meanwhile, Riotta and, uh, and the other guy and Richard from there. Us, they're still there with uh, Alicia Keys. Georgia opens the elevator because it's not working. And it, I guess it stopped on her floor. Mm-hmm. So she opens it up and sees two men inside and is still on the horn uh, with Sharice informing them, oh, shit, these guys are dead. Or she says they're dying, not dead. They're two feds. And that's at that point that Messner Ryan Reynolds comes up with the crew and just basically sees her in the elevator with them. So, of course, they're going to assume that she did it. And then you get your sick wish where Sharice starts unloading on the federal agents with that fucking cannon. She's just going to protect her girl. So it's just everything you hoped for. Mm-hmm. With that, Whenever that cannon went off, it was just exactly what you wanted, which is people flying everywhere. <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Acosta comes back to life and shoots Alicia Keys down. I believe shoots her in the leg and in the side. Uh, and he's about to cap her in the head when Carruthers comes back too and unloads the rest of his clip on Acosta. It's like heaven sent him down for like just a second. Hey, finish the job. Okay, now you can come back. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds immediately comes to the side of his father-like figure when Carruthers tells him it's a mortal wound and that it's all over. And Ryan Reynolds, this is where he starts giving Jeremy Piven a run for his money. Yes. This is where they really start butting heads. From here on, like from here until the end of the movie, it's just like this slow and then uh, then not so slow burn like on uh, Ryan Reynolds' side. Like he turns intensity up to like 100. Sharice has lost contact with Georgia at this point and she looks through her uh, uh, the scope and sees a prostitute that had just died by proxy in the battle and automatically assumes There are hookers Georgia. all over the hotel, <laughs> by the way. Every scene has like hookers in the background walking by. So of course, eventually... Some of them get shot. She loses it and just starts going off. We cut pretty drastically to the top level where the tremors are wreaking havoc and all of Buddy Israel's security. And you get kind of an insight to the different characters and the different methods here. Um, you know, Acosta is very sleek and docile. Laszlo is very, very strategic. And the tremors are just fucking anarchy. 
And yep. this, I guess this is where the violence complaints come in, because this 30-second sequence is just a bloodletting. But it's like, at this point, it would be such a disappointment if it wasn't. Exactly. You've been building them up an hour and 15 minutes by now, and it's like you want to see them really g get down to business, and, and they do. And the fact that they kill everybody except for Common, uh, who manages to be a badass, even though he's handcuffed. Yeah, Ivy manages to take out the two Tremor brothers that aren't Chris Pine. While this is going on, and Ryan Reynolds is tending to Carruthers, Alicia Keys, the elevators turn back on. She goes to the top floor, remembering Chris Pine from you know his very inappropriate sexist remarks earlier. Pulls a gun on him, saves Common. Uh, it's love at first sight, and then Chris Pine retreats. A lot happens in a short amount of time. You have to keep up. It's just one of those things where... You, you just don't know because normally at this point because you're trained to watch action movies a certain way and you, you think you figure out this movie. So you're like there's no way that these three people walk away. You know, like when you have Alicia Keys, Chris Pine and Common and you're an hour and a half into the movie, there's no way that this ends without at least one of them dropping dead. But yeah. no, somehow that scene manages to finagle the three of them out of there. Alive. Chris Pine's heading down the elevator. Ivy and Georgia take off through the stairwell. At this point, that's when the FBI reaches the top floor with Andy Garcia, and they do have the Swede with them, who we find out at this point is a, a surgeon who's just there basically to extract the heart of Buddy. So they come in and nab Buddy, and they stop Hugo right before, he, I guess it was like some sort of lethal injection he was about to give him. Agent Messner Ryan Reynolds is on his way up through the stairwell when he runs into Georgia and Ivy, and he is pissed. Uh, at all the wrong people, as Georgia explains to him, I didn't do that. They pull their guns on each other, and he basically just realizes this isn't the way to go and lets them pass. That's some great acting from Ryan Reynolds where he has to really decide if he wants to engage in a shootout with these two other people. Yeah. Who, who, even though one of them is wounded, I think he he decided not to take his chances. It's been proven at this point that Common Ivy is like possibly the baddest ass in the film yeah he he survived like a, a gambit shot card to the eye and he still he managed to kill two of the brothers and and rescue alicia keys and so yeah I, I think that ryan reynolds kind of like sends that mm -hmm. and he's like it's not worth it i need to get to the top floor because of the mask disguise laszlo is able to escape fairly easily he just rips the mask off and then they just think he's a nobody so we... but, but again this goes back to like you know, there's an easier way of fixing this whole thing. You know, you find a guy that's about to lethally inject a uh, body. You just shoot him. Yeah. But sadly, they're cops, so they can't do that. <laughs> Once again, those adult rules just get in the way of, of just like a clean slate. You know, things will be so much simpler. We get down to the lobby, and there's Laszlo once again in a new disguise. He's got a security outfit on. Acosta is being carried out on a stretcher. At this point, there's kind of the ambiguous ending of his character where we're not sure if he's alive or well because the... Big sigh, the blade in his pocket repels. The Wolverine claw just kind of like pops up again. It's more of like a Lady Deathstrike claw, I would say. Well, if you want to get super nerdy, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and also Chris Pine, the surviving Tremor brother, comes back down into the lobby covered in blood and is impersonating an FBI agent in the worst, most hilarious possible way. At this point, Charisse had just lost it and moved to another hotel room, causing so much attention to herself that she's just bound to get caught. She has the scope on the parking lots of the hotel, and she sees Ivy carrying Georgia out in her arms. And this is where you and I had a point of contention. Yes, because you, Alex. Right after this, she's killed by right, the federal right, right. agents. By now, you know, it's, she, and rightfully so. I mean, she just shot a bunch of agents. Uh, killed that, them horribly. Yes, with the super gun. And so now they are sneaking up behind her. So the last thing she sees before she dies is that, that Alicia Keys is alive. 
but also that she's being carried by Common. So right before she gets killed, you go, well, at least she died happy. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> because her face, her face there is not a, a like, oh, my baby's alive. It's more like, what? <laughs> she's leaving with, like, to me. <laughs> yeah. It feels like, like, well, one, like she abandoned me. Two, she abandoned me for some dude. I mean, even if Common is awesome, that's still like, you know, it's got to hurt. It, it's it's got to sing. Three, I just killed a bunch of people for nothing. Like I threw a tantrum and I completely lost sight of like professionalism. And, you know, she went on a revenge binge and that's why she gets caught and, and presumably killed at the end. Yeah, I don't think she died happy, man. I think that she felt betrayed and angry. And that's fine because that, that works with the themes of the movie, which is that life isn't fair. Life gets more unfair the older you get, the more you get into the adult world. And uh, that plays exactly with the themes of the movie. We'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. You just want a happy ending. I, I always want a happy ending. From all this chaos, we go to a very quiet, docile scene on the roof of the parking garage where Chris Pine is looking to escape, and Hollis has waited there for him because he found his car, and he, you know it's a pretty hard car to forget. He holds him captive, and he takes his uh, car keys and says, just give me him and get the fuck out of here. But they have this really awesome back and forth where Chris Pine has this awesome kind of like, it's I believe the last thing he says in the film where he says, you know, fate will just up and fuck you for no reason sometimes. I didn't quite write it down, but it was something like, at some point he says, like, shit gets crazy. That's the way of the world. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's like, that's the movie in a nutshell. It's just like, shit gets crazy. It gets, it got crazy in that hotel for about two hours. And a lot of people died. Not the right people died. Mm -hmm. A lot of bad people got away. Well, you know, that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it, so Crazy motherfuckers up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I think. I, I. I think that that scene is second only to the bathroom scene between Common and and Jeremy Piven, as far as just like good writing and good performance and just really getting to the heart of what the movie's about. I would absolutely agree with that. And then Hollis says, "Just give me your keys and get the fuck out of here." So Pine says, "You know, I'm really sorry about this," and points to his hand. And then he says, "All right," and he starts walking away. And I guess this could be where you were saying the side plot with Hollis goes earlier. He decides to live in the moment instead of doing like what he should do. I'm telling you, like he turns and he like looks down and you just know they don't show you, but you just know he's thinking of that kid. <laughs> it's like, what would that kid do? That kid would cap this guy. He wouldn't just let him go. There's no you don't have to be like in this morally gray area. You you have a gun. He killed your friends. Just kill him. Mm -hmm. and, and he does. We go to a hospital and I believe it was in Washington, D.C. They said where they moved these the bodies. Ryan Reynolds, Agent Messner's there wanting answers, obviously, and Locke informs him that not only are Buddy Israel and Primo Sparaza father and son, but Primo Sparaza is Freeman Heller, the FBI agent who had gone undercover into the mob 40 or 50 years prior, and they thought that Primo had killed Heller, but it was actually the FBI that tried to kill him for getting in too deep with the mob. He lived and assumed the identity of his alter ego, Primo Sparaza, through a series of cosmetic surgeries, making his identity different. It's straight up superhero plotting at this point. Yes. But that's fine, because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what the movie's getting at. You see in, in Ryan Reynolds' face, as he's assimilating all this information, mm -hmm. he's just, his face is literally, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. That he can't believe that, one, that something so outlandish happened, and not just that, but also that it was allowed to happen. And it's just him, in a way, coming to the same realization that Hollis came, you know, through his own journey, which is yeah. just like, man, it sucks being an adult and just having to deal with this. <laughs> 
this shit. <laughs> Another great sequence of acting by uh, Ryan Reynolds. And kind of like, I think poor Andy Garcia gets stuck with just like, man, delivering the, the mother the, the of all exposition. <laughs> well, not just the bad news, but, you know, he just gets stuck with the exposition. Yeah. They're like, here's 10 pages. <laughs> Make it lively, but not too lively because you're the boss. So just just do your best, man. And we find out that the reason that Primo Sparazzo wants Buddy's heart is to live because they are a blood-compatible match, and the Swede is the surgeon that will be doing the heart transplant. Yeah, so basically when the FBI – I think that's the ultimate irony that I think the FBI triggered this whole manhunt mm -hmm. because they overheard what was originally just kind of like – they thought they were overhearing a hit – but really what they were overhearing was just like, oh, well, I guess it was a hit anyway. Never yeah. mind. Scroll that. <laughs> but they misunderstood what they were hearing originally in the movie because yeah. they thought that they were hunting. They were hiring killers to kill Buddy. And instead they were hiring a surgeon to like kidnap Buddy and, and do the heart transplant. And Locke uh, says this has to happen now because Primo could be the key to bringing down the organized crime ring in America. And messner ryan reynolds knows that's bullshit and at this point he just thinks it's not worth it that his father figure carruthers had to die for this and that it's not going to lead anywhere and uh, Locke just says that's a risk we have to take that is just like the usual the corporate line <laughs> it, it just it just brought me back to any time that that the corporate office at my job has told me like just give them what they want it's, it's okay <laughs> It's okay. They'll come back. We'll keep getting their money. So the film ends with Agent Messner Ryan Reynolds doing the right thing. He barricades himself in the hospital room with Primo and Buddy and pulls the plug on both of them, literally and figuratively, and places his gun. He unloads it and places it on the ground with his badge. And the movie ends with Locke and all these surgeons banging at the window trying to get in. That was like... Magneto cell or something because they throw chairs at the at the glass and it doesn't even crack. It, it's just like the, the power of righteousness is just <laughs> fortifying these walls. Like even though I was racing the movie, my fear was like they're gonna get in and they're gonna just plug them back in. So what was the point? But no, I I've forgotten how resistant those uh, how resistant that room was. They and they may have. I think that's the ambigu ambiguity of the film that uh, Joe Carnahan was leaving up to the audience's discretion. Yeah, it's like I mean after that ride well, we went on it would almost be disappointing to have a definitive ending. Well yeah, and and again goes back to what the movie's telling you that is ambi the ambiguity that's plagued the the movie the missions the, the all these characters quests like it's never been black and white with them it's always been complication after complication it would never be as easy as like oh I'll just unplug them and that's it. Yeah. So so yeah it's very fitting that it ends with Ryan Reynolds locked in this room but people banging in and they might break in because again because he's an adult a responsible adult he had to just put his gun down instead of just – he could have just shot them. He didn't yeah. have to unplug them, but he had to like just be an adult and just be all like and also operatic about it. And also have die suffering the way that Carruthers did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't take the easy route. Like, he has to just make it complicated because he's a complicated person. We all are. Ryan Reynolds or Agent Messner? All of them. <laughs> what a ride. I, it's exhausting. Even talking about it, I just felt like I lived through it again. Just, I got sweaty and I'm excited. It's such an underappreciated, not even underappreciated, because underappreciated implies that that it's appreciated, just not enough. No, this is just downright hated yes. by people. It's just mercilessly. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe that they just didn't. They just didn't get it. There was here. There was this critique to adulthood and and just civilization you know the rules that we trap ourselves with it just was under the guise of an action movie mm -hmm. 
is the kind of thing that that any other year by any other filmmaker, maybe with a more distinguished cast, would have been praised. Yeah. But here, because they saw, oh, it's Ben Affleck, and it's you know this guy Chris Pine, who probably will be Captain Kirk. That's a popcorn movie. <laughs> and then they keep comparing it to Tarantino, and and I think that they just convinced themselves that that it was a bad movie and yeah. didn't give it a chance. And watching it nearly ten years later, I think. A lot of people should because there's a lot to be gained from it. And yeah, I think it's the the Fantastic Four analogy was perfect. I think it was just the cool thing to do to hate on this movie when it came out. I think this movie would actually make you hesitate a lot less if you were about to shoot someone. You know what I mean? Like if you haven't watched Smoking Aces, you might debate within yourself, you know, yeah, I know this person is horrible. Maybe, But no, if you watch Smoking Aces, you're like, no, you only live once and bad guys get away too often already anyway, so let's just shoot them. I'm ready for real talk if you are. I am absolutely ready for real talk. T-shirts, T-shirts, T-shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling T-shirts, all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers. Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart Goes to Montreal, Some Dead Guy, The Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, Not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling! SmartsLikeUs.com, SmartsLikeUs.com, SmartsLikeUs.com. Selling you wrestling T-shirts. Also available, buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. That your car? No, I, uh... Confiscating. FBI. Oh, you're FBI. Yeah. Yes, I am. I would advise you to lower your weapon, sir. You're investigating those murders out at the lake, huh? Am I? Three men were ambushed and shot. Two died and had their bodies dumped in the lake. The other has severe hypothermia. Possible dementia and will probably be a multiple amputee by week's yeah, end. Shit, okay, you're right. Sorry. You shot me. And you murdered my friends. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. <clears throat> and you dumped us in the lake. Pretty much. You were here hunting a man named Israel, weren't you? Is that who you was here for? Israel. Huh? <laughs> I guess we both got beat out there, didn't we? Huh? <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah. Crazy motherfuckers up there. Yeah, Give us your keys and get the fuck out of here. Okay. I'm really sorry about, about all that. She gets, she gets wild and crazy. They just, they just up and fucks you for no good reason. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's the way of the world. The way it's always gonna be. Okay, now. Peace, bro. Okay, so Smoke and Aces, written and directed by Joe Carnahan, was released on January 26th of 2007. The studio had no faith in it. They put it in the dreaded January slot. January, you know, my birthday is in January, and that means I get to just enjoy shit movies. <laughs> Budget of $17 million, like as I was telling you uh, when I was jotting these down, kind of surprising considering who's involved, but then you came back with the uh, 
no one was on top of the world at that point. So I don't think so. I mean, what's the biggest star back then? That, that's was in this Affleck movie? really struggling then? I can't remember. If it's after Jersey Girl, then yes. Okay. That was like, there was there's there's a, a valley Gilly. in yeah like you know every time he did Jilly. I, I mean I don't know. I was not working Hollywood at the time, but <laughs> I, I, I would assume that he was not getting paid like Armageddon numbers by then. Mm. You know, I think Reindeer that, Games numbers. Reindeer. <laughs> I think that was the beginning of of the, of the downfall. Don't you talk shit about Reindeer Games? I have to. I have. To. This is my contract. <laughs> Box office return of fifty seven million one hundred and three thousand eight hundred and ninety five dollars. So to the dollar. Yeah, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh made it return. It, it yeah, but I think that I mean I mean that's clearly not, like, it got, again that didn't crack the one hundred million dollar mark or anything like that. But it got savaged by the critics and uh twenty nine percent. That's Elizabeth Town numbers. <laughs> Wow, Elizabeth Town was that was that low? I don't know, but but I'm talking like no, hate, it was, it was like twenty percent. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and let's do your well, quotes. yeah, okay, it's, yeah, because there there are. I mean, after all, twenty nine percent of critics that actually liked it. Though I will say some of the some of the quotes were just kind of like, well, I like it, but not really, or, or it's not that. No bad. one wanted to own up to it, right? There are a few people though that just just went in, like uh, Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Crazed. Said a great ensemble cast along with excellent direction makes this a gem worth the watch. Agreed. Eric D. Snyder from ericdsnyder.com. It's never boring for a minute and it's a ridiculous, fun waste of time. Yeah, yeah I'm good with that. Kevin A. Ranson from moviecrypt.com. He says, by the time the guns start blazing, the body count and the surprise order really hits home. You actually give a crap whether these people die or not, which is true. I think yeah. I think that probably he 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 realized that he cared about Ray Liotta in well, that scene. When I saw it in the theater, despite the fact that he's obviously a horrible person and killed a bunch of people unnecessarily, I was bummed when Chris Pine died. Really? Like, when I watched it in the theater, because obviously I had no idea who he was, but just like his charisma and like his delivery of everything, I grew attached to his character. I was just like, oh man, he's kind of funny. So he died. I think if I had to rank like who who was like the one that bummed me out the most, with it would be uh, Tarahi. Cherise. Cherise. Yeah, she had the badass gun. She was passionate. She she was funny, and and she died unhappy. So it's just it's such a bummer. Michael A. Smith from Nolan's Pop Culture Review, he he goes a little crazy and goes, "A film that rivals The Departed for twists and turns, but Ooh. it's one hell of a ride." Okay, settle down, Michael. Two very good movies, but on different yeah, plateaus. I mean, The Departed. I, I like this one, but this is why people don't take it seriously. Then Pete Hammond from Maxim said, One wild super kinetic ride. It's Ocean's Eleven meets Pulp Fiction and so much more. He had like, oh. Uh, from Maxim. That doesn't help our case here at all. <laughs> but, but I do agree. I picked it because Ocean's Eleven, that is, you know, Ocean's Eleven is like the all-star thriller, or all-star, yeah. uh, you know, heist movie. And this is like an all-star kind of action it's, movie. It's the sleek smoke and aces. Yeah. It's clean and <laughs> exactly. the stars are yeah. A-list. Yeah. Stephen Hunter from Washington Post says, isn't this grown up? In a word, no. And that's what's so much fun about it. And finally, Peter Travers from Rolling Stone. He's yeah. one of the big ones. Uh, he goes, best consumed with pizza and lots of brewskis, Joe Carnahan's Smoking Aces is shamelessly and unapologetically a guy movie. Mm, yeah. I, I can just see just like people getting really upset about him calling it a guy movie because you know what there's two badass women there there are and, you know. doesn't hurt that alicia keys is super hot i think uh Tarahi, oh yeah she's pretty she's, but alicia keys is just really she's hot meant, i think she's meant to be like the the super hot like uh yeah. bait like the sex bait on that one anyway uh yeah um, and i 
Just sidebar, I usually agree with most of what Peter Trevor says. I always enjoy reading his reviews. Did he get he got fired or or he was like forced to resign or something? Why? I because like I don't know. I only read the headlines. <laughs> God, there, there was some sort of drama. It was, you, you were the worst kind of person. I know. I know. Okay. Well, it's like I don't care that much. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I I don't like him. It's like okay, if I had read back when he was alive that Roger Ebert got fired, I'd be like, oh, what happened? Yeah. But Peter Travers was like, no. Oh. Peter Travers. Yeah. The main thing I remember about him was after he trashed Armageddon, Michael Bay wrote him a letter. Like, be like, who do you think you are? <laughs> no, I I usually. I, I don't know. Sometimes I click on his reviews, but his reviews are just so unpredictable. Like sometimes mm-hmm. they're like a paragraph, and sometimes it's like a, a full page. And he's and, not predictable in terms of things he likes. That's what I enjoy about him as a critic. Like, oh, you just like him because it's a wild card. Yeah, but uh, a lot of times, like even if he dislikes a movie that I like, or vice versa, the points he makes are valid enough for me to be like, okay, I understand that. It just wasn't for you. Well, here's the question: What do you like best, Peter Travers or Travers? Or smoking aces. Smoking aces. <laughs> okay, good. Then, then we're ultimately we're on the same page. But anyway, he that was my last quote. So yeah, let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> What's this, with the hate people? This movie's fine. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it doesn't strive to. It's just like this isn't some bullshit where it's like offensively bad like garden state where it tries to like it, it's back to like the hate level of uh uh and you know what i, I said elizabeth town and there is a little bit of that too but more so like even a more recent episode of ours uh take me home tonight yeah. where you're like it's not that 17 percent or whatever you know it's like why yeah. why why do you hate it so much well to be fair take me home tonight ever the thing was it's rotten score came because just everyone's negative reviews were uh, it's not original. Elizabeth Town was something of everyone was disappointed in it because it was Cameron Crowe. This is just unbridled hatred for no clear reason other than it seemed like it was the cool thing to do to make fun of this movie at the time. Yeah, it's like, you know, we just spent all of December and probably part of November just praising all the Oscar bait movies. We're ready to trash something. Yeah, and, and, and of and course, it just... if you go from that type of Oscar, like those award type movies to this, which is just like hyper stylized nonsense, then yeah, it's going to be a bit of a, you need a palate cleanser in between there. But this, but it's not even that, I mean, because I, I would hate to just fall back on the, on the very easy defensive, like, well, this is just one of those movies where you just kind of have to stop thinking about it and just enjoy the ride, even though it is. But, it, but it's more than that. I mean, it, I would even go as far as just pointing out, listen, if you're referencing Tarantino and the uh, guy Ritchie, you know, okay, well, Tarantino is like a complete different beast, but you can't just, you can't compare anything to Tarantino because that whatever you're comparing is going to lose. This movie, too, like the whole Guy Ritchie thing, this movie is almost exactly the same as Snatch. Right. That's what I mean. Like, So, okay, you're bringing up Guy Ritchie in your comparison. I was like, okay, so you're telling me that you like Guy Ritchie's movies and you don't like this one? Mm-hmm. Why? What's the difference? Like the accents? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's – why are you resenting – is it that you expected more from Joe Carnahan because you like NARC better? I mean, I just don't understand. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. His track record wasn't really established at that point. Yeah, enough, I mean, enough for someone to be like he's better than this. He's a guy who clearly, from this and the movies he's gone on to make, has a clear vision for what he wants to do and be as a filmmaker. And to be fair, he sticks to it. And th- yeah, this is rewatching it. I had a blast. It's it's good. Yeah, it's so much fun. I mean, action wise, it's 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 shot impeccably. I mean, if you're going for the crazy kinetic, it's, it has so much energy. Mm-hmm. That's that's you know, the, the, there's you can't 
find a flaw in that. If you're just complaining that, well, it's just it's just too crazy. It's just shot the way it's shot. I don't like it. Okay, that's not bad. That's just like that's not your kind of movie. Yeah, you know, just move on. Find something else to bitch about. Uh, performance wise, it's it actually. I mean, we're not kidding. Jeremy Piven, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, Common, they're all yeah. they're kick ass. They have like really, they have moments. I mean, it's mostly just fun and bullets and whatever. But every now and then, they get a moment of just true emotion and and it works. It's, yeah, and like again, not to we weren't really kidding. That scene with Common and Jeremy Piven's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, the way it's written, the way it's played, what, the way, how he's playing with the cards. You know, the way it's directed. It's just. It's just really good, and uh, it ultimately, I mean, if you're gonna get queasy about the violence, uh, I, I just don't understand. Again, why would you? What were you expecting it's when you went to this movie? It's not even violent in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you know, a guy gets his fingers chopped off. Uh, that, but still, it's not as violent as, like, say, the only reason I compare it is because it was in that review. It's not as violent as The Departed. I mean, it depends. I mean, I think that a lot of people they just take issue with the fact of. Like you know, the the when Leota and the other guy like shoot each other, you know, they just like you see yeah. it happen. There's a lot of like these two guys shooting each other to death, like repeatedly. I mean, that's that's kind of violent. Whereas like what Leo gets shot in the head. Spoilers and uh, <laughs> Jesus, no joke. <laughs> Sorry. Rewind. Um, Martin <laughs> and, Sheen gets thrown off that building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jack Nicholson. There's, now we're just. This is like the anti last episode. <laughs> we're just gonna start praising the Departed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's that scene where he just Leo's at the bar and Jack Nicholson walks up covered oh, yeah, in blood, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's not explained. Oh, I thought you were gonna say when he like hits him in the his arm or his hand. That's yeah, but do you remember like... that scene where like no, Leo's yeah, looking yeah, for... and there's the other one too where he has the bag, the hand in the bag. Anyway, yeah, but it's not violent to like a offensive degree. Like God knows, I love Rob Zombie's films, but this isn't violent in that way of being violent. Right. I mean, this is not like, or like the way that you could get like really gory in some horror movies or something, mm-hmm. you know, I can understand like a visceral reaction to something that's that extreme, but this is not that extreme. No. So, so really what is it that, that brought like the hate on? I still don't understand. Could it be like, People not liking the actors in it because I know Ben Affleck attracts a lot of unnecessary hate. But he dies. Ryan Reynolds so, he does. dies early on, and Ryan Reynolds. I don't think that he was at that point. He was none of them were. He big wasn't names. the heat magnet like he is now. <laughs> he was not like I could. I could totally buy somebody hating a movie because of Ryan Reynolds now. But mm-hmm. back then, no. I mean, most people probably didn't even know who he was. No, I. I think it goes back to those reviews comparing it, bringing up Tarantino and Guy Ritchie, and calling it different versions of like the poor man something but, yeah, i think that they felt to do that it's just, right it's it, not but i think that there was this perception that that this movie was trying to be better than it was or that that movie thought that it was better than it was you know it's like oh this guy thinks that he's a new tarantino and he and you know what i've seen this before <laughs> try again i'm like it, this is a movie that got released in january with yeah. a i mean we call it an all-star cast but really it wasn't yeah it had solid actors but it's not like you know it wasn't like Jeffrey Rush and Colin Firth, you know, as, <laughs> yeah. as, as as some of the the mercenaries, and I don't know, it, it's almost like people begrudge the fact that the movie's just having fun. Yeah, it, it's just I, I guess like a a Walmart cake, like it's something you buy that knows exactly what it is and tries to be the best it can be within the confines of what it is. Sometimes all you need is a Walmart cake. Yeah, you don't need to go to the like the super expensive bakery that will you know that's to save that for the 50th anniversary or whatever sometimes you just you're just celebrating that that you you pass with a b or something and and then you're like yeah one more cake will do and the other thing too with movies like this you see especially ones that have like such a vicious legacy no one's phoning it in like 
Ray Liotta comes the closest to phoning it in, but you could say that about almost anything he's done outside of Goodfellas. He still gives a genuine effort. I, uh, I bought it. I yeah. mean, I felt bad when he died. Yeah. Brian Reynolds does well. And, you know, this Common's awesome. Jeremy Piven. I remember seeing this and not really knowing that he was capable of, like, decent dramatic acting like that. Don't get me wrong. His performance in this isn't fucking, like, you know, Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart or something like that. <laughs> but it, it's really, really good and impressive considering his body of work. And uh, and how little screen time he gets, too. Exactly. And, you know, like we were gushing about earlier, the big screen debut of Chris Pine. And you can just tell in the little bits he's given how talented he is and how yeah, entertaining he can, he can be. Yeah, he has the charisma. He can carry the scene. That was the other um, – you just reminded me that I, it, it wasn't any of the quotes I read. But there was the other constant criticism on those quotes that I kept running through was just that – the fact that they're like, why does it, why does it start to take itself so seriously at the end? So then suddenly they took issue with the fact that, oh, it was all fun and games and bullets and and bloodshed, and then at the end we're supposed to really care because Ryan Reynolds has this this really depressing revelation, and he, what's wrong with that? I yeah. mean, it actually, it's the movie. I don't feel that it's forced. I think that it 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 has a through line, and I completely buy that turn by the by the time it happens. Yeah. Again, if you're resisting the movie, then, of course, everything is going to rub you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't see that as, as a negative, that, that suddenly it decides to be about something. And Ryan Reynolds' character and Andy Garcia's character and, like, Primos Peraza and Buddy Israel, they're never anything necessarily crazy. The movie gets away. It's almost excused the intensity of the action because the characters are written for it are maniacs, especially. And the action doesn't really get that out of control until the tremors show up. And that's the whole point of their characters is they're fucking psychos. Yeah, it just... It surprises you. It has. Uh, it's the, jarring, uh, right? But also, I mean, earlier on, well, I guess when they show up, it's also that the, when it was, I was going to say when Ben Affleck dies, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's not super bloody, but it's very surprising. Yeah, and and that's. Uh, but again, who would who would be mad about that? I don't. I'm know. like, that's cool. Surprise me, bro. Bring it. I really don't understand. <laughs> we keep talking about it. I'm just I I don't know. I don't know what gets into your head to hate it. And, and you know what's funny? We actually know someone that hates a movie, and oh. I would really like him to sit. And watch it again, mm-hmm. and I'll be like, seriously, do you really hate it that much? Because I, I don't think that yeah, that thing is kind of like. I think you dislike it more than you you remember disliking it more than you actually do. Whereas my thing, I, I said on our last episode, is like I really remember liking it, so I am afraid that I'm, I'm afraid go that's, and... it's not going to be as good. No, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 great. We were talking about though the twist at the ending. When I saw the movie the first time, and I think you said this too, it got me. And now rewatching, I'm like, how did I not see this coming? Yeah, yeah. They they keep focusing. They keep bringing up the surgeries like at least three times during the movie. It's clear that that's where they're headed. Oh, it's the same guy. the The agent is the 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 mafia boss. I don't know how, but I guess there's so much going on in the movie, and mm-hmm. you're trying to keep up with so much. Yeah. Um, that would be the only actual criticism, and, and it doesn't bother me, especially not on the second watch, mm-hmm. because I did mean what I said about Syriana in, in the first segment. I I think that the the complexity of the plot, yes, it can it can be a deterrent, it can be a turnoff to some people, uh, but ultimately it's very hey these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, they're shooting at each other, you know who to root for, just stick with it, and you, you'll figure out most of it by the end. Alicia Keys is hot. We know. Oh, Alicia Keys is hot. You don't want her to get hurt. No, you don't. Uh, you know the guy from Lost is creepy. You you <laughs> want it to get hurt. It, it's it's very it's very easy to follow in that 
but I, I mean, I've been frustrated by movies before. I think I got frustrated watching Syriana the first time. I mm-hmm. liked it overall, but I remember just feeling defeated because I couldn't crack like every single thing that was happening. I don't remember. I think that I was I had a much easier time. Well, clearly, because Syriana is about like political issues and all the stuff. <laughs> it's about, like this, oil, right? Yeah, that's part of it. There's okay. a whole lot of shit going on there. But this one is not on that level. But it's kind of the same principle. That's the one thing I would understand. If somebody told me, listen, I sat through half an hour. I didn't know what was going on. I, and I gave up on it. Okay. But but then say that. Don't tell me that, hey, it's a Tarantino clone. Or, hey, the violence is offensive. Or mm-hmm. why does it take itself seriously at the end? That's just I, – I don't get all any of that. Yeah. It, it, and, again, the movies that we have reviewed, the bad movies, as it were, doing finger quotes, um, we've been able to pinpoint why they were poorly received with this I don't know. I know this has like a cult following now. Like, it, well, there is a sequel which I would not watch. You could not no, pay me to no, watch no, a sequel no, yeah. to Smoking Aces uh, because I would be because uh, it, no Piven, right? Uh, I assume no Common, no, no Reynolds. I would imagine. Yeah, no Reynolds, uh, no Ray Liotta. Well, yeah, In no heaven. Tremor Brothers, <laughs> no Ben Affleck. But movies like that, yeah, like this, they do tend to get those straight to DVD sequels and stuff like that. And then, like I said, I do know this has kind of a cult following and could be because the people that do support are kind of like us that are like almost defensive about it where it's like, no, this is good. Like, fuck you. Let's, let's really, let's, let's start a petition for a sequel. Okay. Don't get too carried away guys. It's good. You're you're making us look bad now. It's not the Dan Fogler goes to college sequel that we need. (laughs) No, no, this is, this ends where it needs to end. No, but it's interesting. It it really is interesting because it's not one of these movies that's just kind of like life on its side. It's like people like actively really dislike it. Maybe it's not quite on the level of uh, uh, the Boondock Saints. You know, the Boondock Saints, you can bring it up and people will just hate on it. And in that one, I I actually understand the hatred. Uh, As you should. But, but... This one, I don't, and maybe now now that I brought it up, I wonder if it's just because it's not just that you don't like it, you know, if you don't like Smoking Aces, but you don't like it and you hate the fact that there's some people that do like it. Yeah. And and it's just one of those things where like, oh, well, I just, I'm not invited to that party, so fuck them. It's my whole contradictory stance on Donnie Darko, like how I don't dislike the movie as much as I dislike people that like it. I, I'm like that with some uh, with some bands. I'm like... I like them. I'm okay with their music. I hate their fans. <laughs> I've never run into an obnoxious Smoking Aces fan. I've run into obnoxious uh, Boondock Saints fans. And have you run into obnoxious Donnie Darko fans? Donnie, uh, Dar- Donnie Darko is like the incubus of movies. No, uh, well, hang on. Let's, or incubus okay. is the Donnie Darko. Before of music. let's get it out of the way. I mean, I love Donnie Darko. I think Donnie Darko is great. Okay. <laughs> Donnie Darko is not a bad movie. I think people that... How many times have you seen it? Once. How long ago? Long a Girl I Dated in College made me watch oh, it. Oh, dude. Okay. That's like Elizabeth Town Syndrome. You need to rewatch it. And then you'll be like, oh, God, this is I'm enjoying it. It's actually pretty good. Well, we'll have to do it for this, though, because you would never have gotten me to rewatch Elizabeth Town. And now that I have, I'm very glad because that's a delightful movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think Donnie Darko would be a great episode. So that'll be like 40, probably. Well, you say 30, 30 was going to be 18. 30 going to be 18. Another yeah. Joe, Joe Carnahan hit. Kind of bringing this home on Smoke and Aces because we're kind of just going to the same point. Like, we can talk about how great it is all day, but I don't think we're ever just going to crack why it is that it's so revered. Right. And negatively. really, and really, as far as like the real talk, it, it, we just, a lot of the reasons why it's great, we're already covered in the first part of the, yeah. <laughs> of the show. And I the mean, only difference is we weren't being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're being like funnier than, than, than you would probably be if you're praising a movie, but overall, everything really works the way that we were saying it mm-hmm. does. You know, it's it's just a movie that somehow not only did not find an audience, 
it actually found the wrong audience and now that audience hates it for the rest of their lives i don't know the other thing is like maybe they feel like smoking aces took something away from a movie that was much worthier but not even that because it was not a blockbuster hit it didn't win any awards like it was in that the, destined to fail slot of the january release yep it was it was for my birthday so i, I, don't, I don't get it i don't know I'm sorry, guys. We have no answers for you. We tried, <laughs> but, but this is just one of those big question marks that, that just... I, I talked to you briefly about this um, when I was reading through the trivia of this. Allegedly, Michael Shannon was supposed to have Chris Pine's role, but Joe Carnahan fired him after he was very mean to a costume designer. And Chris Pine auditioned for it, and 10 seconds into his audition, Joe Carnahan said, You have the role. Because just the way he was acting, he was doing the character that he did in the film, and he was like, fuck yeah, this is good. I mean, I'm sure a Michael Shannon version of that character would have been awesome to watch. Uh, I'm also going to give him the, the benefit of the doubt, and, you know, this was really young Michael Shannon. Hopefully he's he's grown, and if he really did do something that he wasn't supposed to do, yeah. by now he regrets it. <laughs> he, he looks back at that and it's like, oh, I fucked up. I mean, I could have been smoking aces and I shouldn't have been mean to that costume person. But uh, Michael Shannon, um, my friend Reed and his brother Scott had this thing about Michael Shannon. This has nothing to do with smoking aces, but they say his head and face fit oddly like when on Goldeneye on the N64 when they hadn't figured out how to model faces <laughs> on heads yet. <laughs> and that's how he looks. He's an interesting looking fellow. But yeah, even He's a great actor. Oh, he is. He didn't need to be in Superman. I will find him. I, I think he needed to. Right. I, I think he needed to. But yeah, all the Smoke and Aces haters can suck off because at least gave us Chris Pine, and he's now like one of the biggest actors in the world. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure Common has that, that scene in his reel. Yeah, he Pain should. Too. I mean, and that, that is perfect, perfect uh, proof of in acting in movies. How someone can be great in a certain role and just not work anything else. He's terrible in Terminator Salvation. Not, dude. <laughs> okay, just right. I can think of other movies Common's been in that he's not that good in. Uh, he's but... in uh, uh, that movie with the magicians. Man, he likes being around magicians. Um, now you see me. His eyes oh, is he, I was going to say The Prestige. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Illusionist. But in this role, he's fucking money, man. But yeah. We, this is the first time where we don't have the answers for you. I know. It's so weird. <laughs> it was about to happen. You know, 19 episodes. Eventually, you're just like, I don't know, guys. It, it happened. 29%. Uh, pretty harsh. I wouldn't say this is like an A++ or anything like that. But for what Joe Carnahan tried to make, I think he did a good job. See, I don't do the letters. I do the stars. Mm-hmm. So on a five-star thing... I honestly, I would give it four stars. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. I, and if you ask me why, you know, hey, why four stars? I was like, Jeremy Piven, Common, Ryan Reynolds, awesome sequence, Alicia Keys, the big gun. Every, yeah, I have, it's fun. I have many things. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly easy to digest. You can, I'd be like, hey, you want to have, like, like Peter Traver said, you want to have some pizzas and beers and put smoking aces in the background? Yeah, this wouldn't be, I wouldn't recommend this for like your, Second date with a girl where you're hanging out with her at the house. Well, no, no, no. I was talking to a guy. Oh, okay. like, hey, you want to come in? Like, we can play some video games. And then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, perfect movie for, like, party, like, background noise exactly. at a party or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's a mystery. Yeah. It, it, Consider it, this case open. <laughs> yes. <laughs> please, please write and let us know. Why do you hate smoking aces? <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so now we have some, some, some weirdness to attend to. 
concerning our next episode. It's not really weirdness. It's just kind of um, it's like life. Unfortunate, crazy, crazy shit happens. This... Sometimes crazy motherfuckers. Just kind of unfortunate timing. So this completes episode nineteen of the Contrarians, and our next episode will be episode twenty. We'll be returning to the uh, gray episode format as we did for episode ten, which we select a movie that's in between the scales we usually go on here and uh, debate it. And we recorded this, Jesus, what, two months ago? I think even more than that, man. It's It's been a while. And the reason that we recorded so early is because we were also adding one new element, which is we we're going to have an extra person. Mm-hmm. And it, basically, we were trying to – getting the three of us available at the same time was tricky. So the sooner we could do it, you know, as soon as it happened – we jumped to the uh, the opportunity of, of recording. Yeah. So that means that we recorded episode 20 at least two months ago. And what we recorded and reviewed was Scream 4, the 2011 masterpiece. <laughs> well, that, that's up for the way. You'll, you'll find out next, uh, <laughs> next episode how we all feel about it. But... Uh, yeah, two months ago, directed by Wes Craven. Two months ago, Wes Craven was still alive. Mm-hmm. Wes Craven is not alive now. Uh, he passed away, what, a month ago, maybe? No, uh, he was, passed away uh, two no, weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, which was uh, obviously a, a bummer for just, yeah, just the sad. fact that he's, you know, he was a, a an awesome filmmaker. Regardless of how you feel about Scream 4, I mean, he has a body of work that just can't be ignored. Within the parameters of what he did, he was one of the best ever. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Obviously, if we were recording episode 20 uh, in a couple of weeks, we would actually make it the Wes Craven episode. And yeah. It wouldn't be just about Scream 4. It would be about, like, I would talk about how I, Nightmare on Elm Street just scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I think that's the experience for most people. My big one was uh, Scream, the first Scream. My dad and sister were out of town on some trip or something. And it was just me and my mom at home. I was a kid who wasn't really allowed to watch R-rated movies. And my mom took me to the video store and said I could rent anything I wanted and I wanted to rent Scream because all the kids at school were talking about it. And that opening scene with Drew Barrymore is just like embedded in my skull forever. Yeah, I, I, that's that's kind of like what happened with me. I was like much younger. I was, I don't know, I was probably like 10 at the oldest. And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was on TV. I, I It just came on and we were watching. It was like playing on TV for the first time, I think. And uh, and so we we were like, I think 15 minutes in maybe, and, and then my mom like walked in and she just turned it off. And and I was like, I acted like I was bummed, but really I was relieved because I was terrified. <laughs> and dude, I'm not kidding. I actually had nightmares for at least two weeks straight. That's, I mean, it, it really, you don't think so, but really some stuff really just scars you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he was a, a, a great filmmaker. And uh, of course, our first, well, our second, the first reaction was like, oh, bummer, he died. And then the second reaction was like, fuck, did we like badmouth him when we're, <laughs> when we're just like playing around with Scream 4? I can I can report because I actually listened to the, the raw the raw footage or the raw audio files that we didn't. Actually, we hardly mentioned him. Again, if we're recording it you know, next week, we probably bring up his contribution yeah. more. But as it is, it's really more of a, a, a three-ring circus of arguing about <laughs> <laughs> the plot twists and the performances in, uh, in Scream 4. So yeah, um, just sad end to I think it was brain cancer that he had that took him. Um, Do you know he had a Twitter account? I didn't know this. And no. he, he was like, he, he would tweet fairly often. I didn't know until the day he died, people started retweeting like their favorite Wes Craven tweets. Oh. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah. So instead of like recording a lead in to our twentieth episode, we're just going to edit and present it as as it was. But I think we can just say here, this is our this uh, here is our tribute to Wes Craven. And as the cinephiles and film nerds that we are, he obviously was a big con- contributor to that. So 
Thank you. And you know what's funny? I mean, it's not funny, but because this is going to like, yeah, you just said, oh, he died two weeks ago. But really, by the time that this goes up, it'll it'll be at least a month. It's like Looper, man. It's just, just, yeah. Don't try to make sense of the time travel. Yeah. We said we set ourselves up for it. That's yeah. our fault for recording that far in advance. Yeah. So we recorded with our friend Eddie. We'll do the full intro on the twentieth episode. Uh, not a format change or anything. We just brought him on for the special 20th episode. The 20th episode as well is going to mark our one year of Contrarians podcasting. Is that is that how it goes? Really? Uh, yes. We did it like in the middle of October of last year. Yeah, because we did Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, Scream. We didn't really plan it. Uh, no. that it would fall like another horror movie uh, for Halloween. But that that's pretty good. Yeah, and had a lot of fun doing it and continue to do so. Um, we have we have mapped out the next seven shows. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. So yeah, appreciate the support and everything, and just hope you guys enjoy it and continue to listen. Um, I have I have stuff to plug. I don't know if you have stuff to plug, but I actually wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Yeah, absolutely, was, absolutely. You don't have stuff to plug. No, I don't. <laughs> well, I'll plug. I figure I'll plug for this show and next show because we didn't plug anything on episode twenty because we're like we don't know what's going on. The world might have ended by the time that. <laughs> There's a couple things I wanted to mention. One, that uh, Dan Fogler is going to play Roger Ebert. No, that's not true. <laughs> Josh one, Gad. One, Josh Gad is going to play Roger Ebert in a movie. I just wanted to say that. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not opening up the discussion or anything. I'm just saying, hey, you know how we keep talking about Josh Gad in this, in this podcast? There's... You you win. Yes, thank you. Okay, uh, number two, there is uh, a web show called A-Town. That is, uh, it's actually shot in Austin. And I went to the party for the season premiere of their second season. And it was like a lot of fun. It was, it was fun. And I was like, oh, I'll mention it. Because it's actually, I was just curious to see what it was, what it'd be like. I feel like I don't know enough filmmakers in Austin, oddly enough. <laughs> I know a lot of writers, but actual filmmakers, I don't know that many. And, and these are people that are actually doing something right now. So that was, uh, that was cool. It actually takes advantage of the Austin setting, which is, you know, uh, it's something that I liked. So that's cool. Uh, look up, uh. A town. Then there's this podcast that I just discovered called Facing the Critics, which you'll love this because you actually are the one that introduced me to the uh, Amazon Reviews Twitter account. Yeah. Okay. So the guy behind Amazon Reviews has started this podcast where he talks to filmmakers and basically confronts them with with you know stupid Amazon reviews, and, the, and he uses the, the Amazon reviews as a launchpad for discussing you know aspects of their career or or things that that the audience maybe didn't take right didn't take very well about their movies it's it's pretty cool i listened to the sixth episode which is the most recent one uh which is with john august the guy that wrote go and big fish and uh willy wonk and the charlie factory and they go through like almost his entire filmography it's a lot of fun and then i listened to the first episode where he talks to i don't remember the name of the guy but it's a guy that wrote drive angry jason x and yes. uh and my bloody Valentine, and it's also a lot of fun just going through. So that's that's pretty cool too. And then finally, I I have a acquaintance. It's like it's another fellow writer who also happens to be an actress, and apparently she was in this movie uh, that was shot in Austin, or at least by an Austin filmmaker. She got mentioned, and I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And uh, well, yeah, sure, I'll give you a shout out on the on the podcast. So like the twenty people that listen, <laughs> maybe they'll watch your movie. It's called uh, Two Step, just a two words, no dash. And I was like, well, I need to watch it, you know. And then if I watch it and it sucks, I'll just mention it, mm-hmm. and then I won't go into detail. But luckily, like I watched it, and it was actually pretty awesome. It's nice. like it's a it's a it's just like a, a thriller, and uh, it's really well acted, well shot. 
it's just awesome. I, I, I was so happy. I actually watched it right before coming here. Nice. And uh, so I'm actually going to like reach out to the director because I, I follow him on Twitter now and uh, just tell him that I thought his movie was great. So, so I would say support independent Austin <laughs> filmmaking and just go to iTunes and get it. It was like a four ninety nine rental, and or you can buy it. You can take my word for it that it's good and just buy the whole thing. It's nine ninety nine. Uh, as far as we go, just remember normal things that we do here. We are on iTunes. We're the Contrarians, not the Contrarians podcast. Our website is wearethecontrarians.com. Our email address is... Our email address is wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. This is where you're going to write to tell us in detail why you hate smoking why aces. Why do you hate smoking aces? And you are not allowed to use all the reasons that we're made fun of. We really, we want We want valid reasons. Yes, we want, we want, you want to know what's going on. Don't, let's not go over what we already discussed. <laughs> I want to know that maybe Ben Affleck just reminds you of something that you hate and that's, that's why you hate the movie. Or Ryan Reynolds, you just hate the fact that he wins at the end. Maybe you take a different message from the movie and you think that the movie's promoting anarchy. I don't know. <laughs> I, that would be awesome if I actually got somebody to really engage. That but is the goal. That is the goal. That's why we do this. We're also on SoundCloud. Be sure to check us out there. Uh, outside of that, that's going to wrap up this episode of The Contrarians. As I told you, I'm really excited because this is the first episode where I get to use Motorhead's Ace of Spades. So, <laughs> It's already happened. It is. <laughs> it's already happened. I'm, I'm excited. All right. Well, that's it for us here on The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. While the security is taking common away, um, the elevator begins to rise to the top floor and smoke begins to billow from it. Um... Movie has bad <laughs> continuity then because the next scene doesn't make any sense. Well, I, I think that the the timeline it kind of like time speeds up and slows down depending on who you're checking in with, okay. because technically, like there's no way that the conversation between Common and 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 Jeremy Piven takes that long. You know, there's like a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah, but the, the tremors come up before the FBI because that shots before the FBI shows up. Uh. No, but the FBI shows up in the other elevator. Oh. The FBI shows up to the to the elevator that so has three elevators. The one that Leota's dead in, the Tremor elevator, and the FBI elevator. No, the FBI doesn't show up. Yeah, they do. Because Andy Garcia comes in. Or is that the very end? That's the very end. This is the very end. The, the FBI, or whatever security, just showed up to, to take uh, Common out of the... Okay, because okay. and now they're they're getting back to that elevator. So times. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Okay, there's no, no, no. There were there was security posted outside of uh of Piven's room. But, Those are the guys that come in to to remove 
Uh, so time slows down here for Hugo because he doesn't really come back into it until the FBI shows up. Right, like they take they take common away. A lot of right, they okay. take a com- they take common away. Uh, Piven passes out and he's done for the rest of the movie, pretty much. Okay. And uh, and then while the FBI is waiting for the elevator, what the elevator comes up with the crazy people. That's right. 